Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Alan Wake Book Club. We're talking about episode six of the game, uh, The Departure. So uh, here today you have uh, me, Lance. You have Adam. Hey. You have Ben. Hello. We have Mike. Hey. Guys, this is the final episode of like the main game of Alan Wake. We just ended up uh, with the clicker. Just uh, episode five ended in the well-lit room, uh, and you got the clicker. So uh, now we're here. So it starts off in in a different way because you kind of go through that recap. Then you just hop right into two years in the past, New York. Alan kind of wakes in his bed with a hangover, uh, and, and you're hearing Alice around. Uh, you got to get your glasses. You got to take some pills, some painkillers. Um, what do you guys think of this part? I have rarely sympathized with a video game character near as much as I did during this particular sequence. Just the idea of like waking up, everything hurts to look at. I immediately, I keep excited by my bed. It was, uh, it was fun though. Like, it's just kind of showing when the relationship like was still earlier in development. And, like, you watch the, you know, like TV clip that goes on, which I think you're gonna mention here in a bit. But no, it's just kind of fun. Like, I always enjoy these little like flashback moments where you just see, you know, Alan and Alice before. All the craziness, right? I yep. I really like. I mean, I, I do. I really like them. And the commentary talks about how close they were to not having them. Um, and I do think that these little windows uh, do a lot of the uh, of the heavy lifting of just their their past and kind of like the the setup and and the the slow reveal of the you know we've got the two well, three scenes in the in the apartment. Um, I think I think it's just really good. Um, I think that the game's much much better for them, um, even though they are kind of quick little little interludes. Uh, Alan's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do, I do agree there. Yeah, um, like that dude goes from zero to one hundred several times over the course of a single conversation with his wife, where he's just like, "Oh, now I have to, uh, you know, do whatever." It's pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think that it's what is also interesting there is how this talk show host talks about how he assaulted a guy, and then he likes like, oh, you got, you know, we all know you have a temper, and then, like, Alan makes a joke out of it, um, which is combined with the, you know, later on, it, there's other stuff that happens in the, that I won't talk about later on in this episode, but it is, it is kind of setting up for this idea of just, like, Alan being a violent person, which I think we, there are, like, small hints at, but this is, like, a pretty overt thing coming out and saying like hey like maybe you maybe we shouldn't uh shouldn't put all of our trust in uh in mr allen and you get a little bit of um barry on the voicemail right isn't he kind of like um i don't know about this alice yeah before you're going over there yeah though i'm like pretty sure they've been married for a while at that point uh i didn't get the impression that they had like just started dating or anything it seemed like they were pretty well established barry's got to be like a better dude a better bro to allen He's trying to separate those two. Well, it's like there. It, it was you know the night after like a release party or something for one of his books, and it was it's you know it's that thing where like ah, uh, the star of the of the the star writer needs to go out and you know fraternize with the with the people, and his wife is dragging him down. Man, those are the good old days when like authors were superstars back in the mid two thousands. Yeah, definitely not 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 as much a thing. Especially yeah. right now. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, Mike talked about the show. It's the uh, Harry Garrett show. So uh, you you turn it on. First, you have that. Um, there's the word. I'm not grabbing the clicker yet. This is just the remote. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you turn it on, and you you go through, and he has the interview, and we get a, a special guest appearance at the end. Just watch the video all the way through. Oh yeah, Sam Lake. Like, Sam Lake. Yeah. And there's like Sam Lake. Do the face. He turns and that, his face, and that's what one of the uh, QR codes that we mentioned earlier. That like that's that little clip that it would link to. It's kind of fun. Uh, ah, there is that one was... thing that said during the interview as well that I find really interesting. Um, uh, when he's like talking about his process, or whatever. I forget the exact wording, but he says, uh, "My wife is my muse," right? Which is like another mm-hmm. thing that kind of goes back. Like Thomas Zane said the exact same uh, exact same thing about Barbara Jagger. Uh, so it's just kind right. of interesting, like the similarity in thought and just how they both say the same phrase. And also, though, like, I think that's another thing to show just how fucked up Alan Wake is, because we we talk about the stuff that he writes all the time. And it's about like it's about this this agent who's like love interest die all the time. They say that in the interview. But it's it's about like this hard alcohol agent. Um, you know, you, you even might remember back to like maybe it's a Max Payne type character. But but saying that your wife is your muse for like these very dark, heavy books is, I I don't think of like a word like what worse could you say? Like I make my work is like this dark, dark work, um, and I'm thinking about my wife all the time when I make it. It is it is pretty funny, uh, but I I don't know some some of it kind of makes me feel like um, it just like it, the characterization sort of jumps around a lot and I kind of have a hard time figuring out like how much they just need to like, all right, we have a couple of minutes to sort of establish Alan's backstory. So let's like throw a bunch of stuff on the wall here because he'll like, he they go from like having what what is like a minor, but kind of serious argument to like, Oh, I love you, baby. Let's like, let's go on vacation together and everything's going to be fine. And the music starts playing and it, it, it's just, I think they're trying to cover like, yeah, Alan's kind of a piece of shit, but also they're in a happy relationship, even though there are some problems. And yeah, I, I'm, I mean, it could be also it could be like if you want to take it from a stylistic standpoint, it's just it's just another step into surrealism, where like they're just saying like, hey, this is this is the path that it needs to take, and we're going to take a very direct route there, and it's it's going to feel weird because it is weird, like it is the stylized section. Um, which could be, you know, there's either that or yeah, or they just were like, yeah, we got we got two minutes. <laughs> let's let's go. Yeah, and kind of with that, the dialogue for the books were kind of cheesy. Like, oh, you've you've uh, ended your character out of nowhere. The book is called Suddenly Sudden Stop. Um, but he does have the uh, he does have a line. I'm not sure if there's just the uh, not enough words in the English English language. If I'm just again reading too much into it, like a red chair. But he says his next book will be a departure from his current, like his current work. The name of the episode is uh, "Departure." I thought that was neat because this is kind of his next writing, his next manuscript. Mm-hmm. Well, and even then, like he does say, I think it's in the first episode that like "Departure" is the planned title for his next novel. They never got around to writing. Like it's the title of the manuscript. You go back to the cover page, and so it all kind of ties together into that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the show's over, we get into that fight that uh, Ben and Mike were alluding to, where they fight. Then we go on some lovely vacation. Uh, then we're back in the well-lit room. Um, Alan has the clicker, talking about um, he's read the page. 
Uh, and then he tells Barry, gives those uh, Barry to hold Sarah hostage. Uh, so he yeah, get out pulls there. a gun on her, which is like really unnecessary. Right. Yeah. She's been nothing but helpful up until this point, and he's like, "No, like Barry, take this gun and like hold her, hold a police officer who's been nothing but helpful to us at gunpoint." <laughs> All because she wants to help. Yeah. She's like, "I'm gonna go too." Like, uh, uh-uh. stay here. It's like, what's he gonna do if she insists? Is he gonna shoot her? Hell no! Like, she could have taken him so easy. He's a freaking rider. He doesn't, you know. I mean, aside from being able to kill half a town's worth of, you know, possessed bad guys, I guess. But yeah. But still, like the, the whole thing is just like it makes me stop and go, huh? Um, yeah. Listen, they have one episode. He needs to get back to Cauldron Lakes. Chop chop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could have used her though. That the combat sections are pretty rough. And she's the only competent uh, follow me character in the whole game. So, uh, Barry but... is totally competent. <laughs> <laughs> you playing on nightmare mode too, Mike? Yeah, with the commentary, the bridge, a uh, bridge with the possessed stuff that is about to happen. It's oh, awful. It was real God awful. damn it. it! I mean, yeah, it's a lot that of bridge. Bridge. It's a lot of combat. I mean, I hit a point where I was just spamming grenades and, and walking. Like I just because I was like I have ten. I was like I can see how far I need to walk. I'm pretty sure that if I just throw them every time that like I get to the next spot, I can make it and just skip areas. I mean, it's like it's a very large like open area that you start to traverse because I mean you start off like it's the daytime, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And and uh, like it's always nice to sort of get to explore the town or like take in the the sights like the views during the daytime because I think it's like beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, but pretty quickly, like, yeah, you just start getting funneled into, like, these long, uh, drawn-out fights, uh, which, like, aren't difficult so much as just, like, resource-intensive, and they give you just, like, a ton of resources to fight. Like, I had 15 flashbangs at any given time. Um, Yeah, and and I think that there's, like, it kind of, there are parts that fall into the open-world type trap where I feel like Alan Wake is in this. I mean, there there are some like really cool like little arenas that you fight in throughout this game, um, but I but I feel like the worst of them is in this section where things just like you're constantly like oh I'm going to turn this corner so I can get around this way and then you just run into an invisible wall or you run into like another thing that's flipped over and then you, you have to backtrack back out, out and around or like it's too open world so when you're trying to attack like it's at weird angles and like stuff just doesn't fit right. Um, and a lot of the engagements, which I think makes it a little bit harder or a little bit more awkward um, than it would otherwise be. Yeah, yeah and one thing about this part, uh, at least that. Oh, go ahead. You Adam. go ahead. No, you, you. I insist. Okay, um, I was going to say, you know, one thing that's unique about this open world versus the others is that you start in the daytime. As you're walking through a tunnel, you have the flash to like Barbara Jagger, and Alice, and all of a sudden. It's night, right? So you're going from this kind of no combat exploration to you go through this tunnel and it is not like a transition tonight over time. It is just now it is dark and it is about to go down. I think there's even a there's the manuscript before this, maybe. But you're kind of going through there and now, and now it is just dark and you have this combat you guys are in. I thought that was a stark on some of the other ones where you transition from day to night. Yeah, and I think he comments on it. Well, he does. He comments on it right when he gets out of the out of the dam. And he says, "Hey, like it's daylight out. Like that must have been a blessing." 
So like he, I think he already felt like it shouldn't have been daylight. Like it was a, it was a result of, of the power of the clicker or something. So maybe this was just the natural end of that power. Um, or it's another commentary on Alan Wake being an unreliable narrator. And because, uh, you know, you get Barbara Jagger very explicitly saying, I don't remember which flashback it is, but she says, like, you're crazy. Like, you're you're just like she pretty much explicitly says something like you're crazy. Like, you're just attacking all these people or, or something like that. Like, it's all in your head. I think she says you're crazy. It's all in your head, um, which is like th- there's a. a We've talked about mostly evidence uh, throughout the game where it says it's in your head or or it's kind of like alluding to that. Um, obviously, the whole Sheriff and Barry uh, episode, last episode, pretty much says otherwise. But, but still, <laughs> there there is evidence to that theory in the game. I mean, there there are like some interesting set pieces sort of in the in the travel between the well-lit room and and cauldron lake which is sort of your goal um that are sort of separated by like long patches of just like random engagements that you can more or less skip or you know unless you're funneled into into fighting them like crossing the bridge was interesting uh it was very difficult but i also liked that sort of in the distance um yeah there's like the mothman or like a devil or something and like it just because of the way that it's framed it looks like something that you're going towards and then when you get there you see it's just like an illusion because uh it's like a piece of construction equipment that has something behind it that look like horns uh Mm -hmm. but like i thought that was interesting just as like a focal point uh sort of as you're traveling across the bridge but the combat itself was kind of like for the bridge you guys go to the uh like the motel yeah yeah oh yeah run to agent nightingale's room Filled with nothing. Still filled with nothing. <laughs> a lot Hartman, of pictures of a lot of people. And he's got a book. About, he's got a, a meal's book in there. Yeah, re- he's reading. He's reading a meal. He's read all the authors. <laughs> and so maybe he got them all from that book. We're talking about all the creative <laughs> authors. <laughs> it's just yeah. another room filled with absolutely no information the, about this guy. The commentary. <laughs> the commentary starts in that room, and, and they talk about how much they liked Agent Nightingale as a character. Um, and they were just really happy that he survives the story in whatever form he Shocking. survives. Um, but they were basically the, the commentary was just like, Hey, like we love this character. Like we really want to introduce him. And um, this was like a really fun thing to do that we really wanted to have in the game. Um, and like, they were like, if you even look up into the AC, like you can see his files sticking out, like, what are those? Like, and they were like so excited about every little detail in this room talking about, alcohol laid out like the pictures laid out on the on the table or on the bed on the table and then you know his jackets on on the chair and stuff and um it just it is nice to know how much they they particularly cared about this character as much as we hate him i think it's about equal <laughs> they they liked him and wanted him in here but and i had one of my me? favorite lines why uh said one of my favorite lines by uh you guys called again? The darkness? Mm-hmm. What's the name of the... Now I'm just... The Taken. You know, the Taken. After six it's episodes, it's not, <laughs> I'm trying to sound like rules. an idiot at this point. <laughs> um, one of my favorite lines, you go out after Agent Night goes and we go outside and the guy says, look after yourself and your co-workers. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I love the random lines they say. <laughs> because I never played with subtitles on until you guys told me about these lines. I turned them on, I'm like, I just laugh all the time. <laughs> like, 
there was there's one later on and he yells it like right as it's in another like slow motion sequence and he says modern camping equipment is lightweight <laughs> like, yes. i died so many times at that part i heard it so many times <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's it's so funny just listening to like lines that your dad would say like out of this like horror movie <laughs> Is anyone else very surprised how far away from the fucking lake you were? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I, I mean, thought I was like right next to things. Yeah, weren't we at the dam? Yeah, yes, like it's gotta be connected right somewhere, right? Jeez. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was going to comment on earlier, so it's actually good it got pushed back, but like just one of the things that like is kind of cool, but like kind of bugged me at the same time about this entire episode is that you're just driving for so goddamn much of it. Like, it's the entire time you're just like, it kind of the same problem as uh, last episode, right? Where it's like you're just going from point A to point B with like, you know, random combat thrown into the uh, the in between. And yeah. man, like, just the driving mechanics, I really wish that they were better, <laughs> especially with how much you have to do in this section. But I mean, it's kind of cool to, like, just really highlight how big this area is, because, I mean, again, like we've mentioned before, like, they and started off as an open-world environment, uh, and then they just kind of, like, forced you into funnel little sections of it to really, like, just hone the narrative and just, like, you know, get that kind of gameplay loop more solidly laid down. But yeah, the driving How inefficient is he is with cars. He's always just like, I'm done with this car, let me throw this car away, get yeah. another car. Right, like, right how... around this rock. Like, how many of these assholes just leave their goddamn keys in their car with their lights on? <laughs> like, all the, the batteries should be dead. Of the story, all the cars are unlocked and available for him to use. Yeah, and the lights mm-hmm. inside are on. Like, those batteries would be dead. I'm He's sorry. The main I've never character. encountered a car that could do that. I guess that's how he wrote it. I don't know. No, you're fine. So one of the cool parts about this is kind of the transition of you're going through the town, it's this area you haven't seen, and then for me, you switch into the mining area. Not sure if that was supposed to be a museum or an abandoned area because we have that mining museum, and I think it was in episode three, two or three. Um, and I thought that was that was pretty neat. It was just like a different scenario. It scared me when you go on the cart and you hit the handbrake and you just see birds everywhere. I knew it was going to be terrible. <laughs> I, I kind of liked that scene. It was it was different, right? The platform was a little bit different. There were actually things to fall off. Um, um is that weird. the first and only time that you have to use that push mechanic? For the cards. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it it surprises me with like development stuff because that means that they must have either made that really early or, or late that section. Because in the commentary they do talk about how putting all the polish on this last episode was a was a pretty was a much bigger task than they thought it was going to be. Um, and I think that that's because a lot of it is very far away from each other. Um, it it, mm-hmm. it the span of the episode, even though it feels like a shorter episode, is actually much larger. You you move through environment much much quicker than you do anywhere else. Um, but they talked about that and like, you know, the, the, they talked about this town and then they talked about, you know, different things and just how much time I wonder, I just, I wonder when, when the carts were, because we have the cart and we have another, we have the, another searchlight, which is like one of three, I think in the whole game. Or like the military one. One is just for a gate. Another one you use as a weapon. And then this one as well. Yeah. Like the big bat signal thing. Yeah. Yep. There was just like a lot of like very disparate fight scenes and i don't know it's just i do wish that i've just felt like there was more i I just felt like there could have been more um just like to see because i spent a lot of time wandering around the environment like thinking i would find something cool and there was just like nothing in any place (laughs) 
It was <laughs> like, there's not like any interesting manuscripts really. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of like well, there, lore. There is one like, that's good. I like. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple that are that are important to the narrative and that that are good and and well written. But I just always feel like like there weren't any radio shows, there weren't any TV episodes. Like there was just not a lot of the the rewards that I like to see when I'm exploring the area. So eventually, I just started like moving through things very quickly because I just wanted to get to the end. Hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. Kind of looking back on five and six. I think they could have been like one episode, right? Because we discussed with five, there was a lot of filler. I think this probably had just as much. It was a little more interesting. This the setting and the combat a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think they could have been probably the same. One episode just combined them all. I remember liking this episode a lot more the first time I played it. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, well, I think that like most of us, the first time that we played it. Um, we were probably just finished with episode five or, or four as well. And you're kind of just like running right off the high of, of getting the clicker and like finishing, you know? So you're kind of like, Oh, like I'm so excited. Like I'm going to see what, what everything's about. I'm going to see the end. Um, I think that the way that we've been playing it, you know, basically uh, an episode a week, um, it does kind of kill some of that momentum. It's funny you mention that because I actually, after finishing episode five last week, I just went right into this one and finished it immediately after. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, I mean, like, the momentum is definitely a huge part of it, right? Where it's like, finally, the clicker, this myth- mythical thing is now in your possession. What the hell is going to happen next? And you just drive a lot. And uh, yeah. you have a death bridge. And that's pretty much it. Well, not it. But I mean, like, that as far as gameplay. And that, like, sense. really weird car... Uh like the like the junk lot where like things were on fire yeah <laughs> and you're like in it's the like, death arena with the giant <laughs> tractor you randomly like end up in a mad max movie halfway through the episode it's, you go off a jump to get in there yeah it <laughs> forces you off the jump super out of place to have like this weird car combat arena if you try to do the jump in front or to the left of the motel by the way it does not work very well like it's not like that one where they've obviously like polished it up. It you scratch going up the jump, you scratch on the top of the jump and you kind of scratch in midair. And so it's like and you just like hit the ground. It's like definitely seems like it was not meant to actually be like right. I I one hundred percent actually had the car stall on top of it and I couldn't get it out, so I had to like jump out and just run Mine a new car. barely made it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So yeah. Yeah, so so after all that, um, one of the manuscript pages says that, hey, the darkness doesn't want you going over there. In fact, it's doing everything in its power to stop you. And you see that as the episode goes through, whether it's more enemies or at some point it's actually like putting boats and cars and you know all these different things in front of you to stop you. Um, yeah. The manuscripts are pretty good. They were kind of on, they were more on point than the previous episodes. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really like Thomas Dane's Last Dive. Um, it, it, it brings an element that, that you see right at the end where that I, I, I kind of wish that we had a little bit more foreshadowing in, but, but the manuscript says, Zane cut its heart out, but it didn't die. The thing that wore Barbara's face kept crooning sweet nothing, sugar laced with poison. He put on the suit, untied the monster from the chair. The thing in his arms thrashed weakly, but he yelled fast. He stepped outside. 
off the pier and into the dark water, a, sing- a sinking pinprick of light descended toward a bottom that never came. Like, that's a really great paragraph. Um, it also kind of sets up it sets up a, a cooler origin story for Zane than I think we got previously. And this idea of the darkness having this hole in its chest, um, literally, that, that Zane tried to cut out the heart of Barbara, um, that you only see later on, but I, you know, that that's something that's so cool that I wish, you know, I wish we could have seen earlier or at least alluded to some of these these ideas. Well, it's kind of a uh, interesting as well because I forget exactly when it happens, but you start having like kind of audio uh, flashbacks, I guess, where you hear Thomas Zane like tying Barbara Jagger up, and you hear her being like, "Oh, why don't you just untie me? We can just write your story." It's some real good again. Evil Dead stuff. Yeah. And then you like hear meaty, wet chopping sounds, and she's like, "Put down the knife!" <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, it like caught me super off guard because I did not remember that at all. And I'm like, man, that just got really graphic really quick. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like, it's kind of fun to just like have that accompaniment to the the page. Um, I think it's also just nice to that Thomas Zane sort of gets explored, like, because he's a really interesting character, and you don't get like a ton of information from him but it, it it's interesting because he comes off like a lot darker i think in this episode than in previous ones where before he always seemed like a very heroic figure or like a tragic figure um but he was like much more quick to violence sort of when it came to to dealing with barbara uh once he sort of realized what was going on and like that audio flashback specifically was like uh really unsettling in like a like a really enjoyable way um <laughs> And I'm not sure who did the voice for him, but it was also like, it sounded like it could have been the same voice actor that does Alan Wake, but I'm not 100% on that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I I mean, is there, is there something, i trying to think, is there something also with the lake? Because the lake, you brought it up before, where it's dropping, it's dropping, um, you know, different pieces of, of like, well, I think one's like an oil tank one and then a bunch of boats, um, a plane obviously earlier on in the game. Um, and I've, I've always, I, originally I had thought, I think playing this game 10 years ago, that that was all stuff that had come, that had fallen into Crater Lake somehow, like, um, you know, the plane or, or some of the smaller boats. But I mean, he, there's some pretty big crap that's dropped on you over this episode, like a, a large fishing vessel, vessel, and like, and like half of a of an oil of an oil tank. Um, I wonder. I was I was trying to wonder like where where specifically some of those things would come from, um, and if it's, I don't know if it's like trying to say that the crater lake is part of something else, or if there are other places that that are tied into this. That maybe uh, the darkness is pulling from. Um, beyond that, I mean, it's just it's just a thought. It's kind of like a last. It's definitely like a last ditch effort of it to try to just attack you by by dropping these these things down on you. Well, I think you're exactly right with that. Because um, I mean, uh, there's a manuscript page where it does say that it was like taking things that the lake had claimed and throwing them back out. Or I'm paraphrasing. I forget exactly what it said. But then with the last words in this episode or like it really does kind of confirm that idea that there's way more being affected by the darkness than just what we're playing through here um you know the 
Right, yeah. like almost like there's a Bermuda Triangle black hole somewhere <laughs> to like the Cauldron Lakes white hole. <laughs> like, yeah, where you know you've you've got something else that's that's pulling in other other vehicles or, or other uh, places. Um, but yeah, just 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 a final thought in the in the mess of combat. How much did Silence. Erickson take to make Michael uncomfortable? <laughs> I'm oh, not, not going to break. <laughs> no, there was a. We'll talk about manuscripts. There was one manuscript that find out what happens in the well lit room, and that is uh, Barry puts down the gun after you leave. I think he starts crying, and he says, "You know, that's the last time I'll, I'll ever see him." Uh, let's see. Oh, he says, I don't think I'm ever going to see him again in a weak voice. I didn't have it in her to be mad. And then besides, he was probably right. So, yeah. yeah. That sad ending there. It is It is sad, too, especially when you think back about there's a, I don't know if it's a manuscript. It probably is. But there's one, there's something that, that talks about how Barry uh, has a crush on the sheriff. Um, and he's like, oh, like, you know, anything to spend more time with her. I think, and, and so it when I when I saw the title of that manuscript on this playthrough, I was like, "Oh, is this like the is this like the ending where like maybe they're gonna like go, you know sail off into the sunset together?" Like I was like kind of excited to see like if that was where it's going, and then I you know it's just it's just Barry lamenting the death of Alan, and so uh, I was let down. <laughs> I, I think it is true though that sort of I think Barry knew when Alan left that he probably wasn't going to see him again because it's like really uh, in a lot of ways just like a suicide mission. Um, and Alan was like kind of a piece of shit. And he's a he's a tough hero to root for in the sense that he's very much an asshole sometimes and he's kind of dumb. Uh, and but there are like redeeming qualities to him. And one of which I think is that like genuinely when it gets right down to it, like he is courageous or at least stubborn enough to to not be afraid. Um, so the fact that he's like willing to sort of go through this whole like odyssey. of sorts about him uh, as a character and as sort of like a protagonist. He may be a piece of shit, but he's our piece of shit. <laughs> well, I mean, there there is a point in the a point in the comedy where I think it's the quest designer narrative lead. Um, do I think Alan Wake's a hero? No, and he's like he's just like straight up like no, he's he's not. I don't. And then he ends the you know he's talking about what he thinks a hero is, and then he ends the the commentary by saying. But I wouldn't go so far as to say Alan Wake's a coward, which I thought was like a very brutal take. From eh, he's not not really a hero. I wouldn't call him a coward, but you know, like he's fine, I guess. Like middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you do want to root for him because yeah, you know he's he's stupid, but not like entirely stupid to the point where he doesn't understand sort of the stakes of things and he has a plan uh in a lot of ways he reminds me kind of 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 uh ash in the evil dead where he's just like he's not the most <laughs> intelligent person and he doesn't always have the best plan but he's willing to do it uh and you know in a horror movie where people are dying left and right like that still says something positive about you i guess 
Well, and they're right. Like, he's definitely not a coward. You look at all the crazy shit that he's done throughout the course of the game, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to go agree to meet a kidnapper in the middle of the woods by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the fact that he's willing to, like, risk axe murder in the woods, pretty regular. You know, so, like, just... Hero, definitely not. Like, he straight up is an asshole. He's not, like, a what I would call a good guy by any stretch of the imagination, but he does legitimately care about his wife, and he's willing to do whatever he has to to get her back, you know? And, you know, and like, he cares about other people, too. Like, obviously, he cares about Barry. Um, but, you know, like, the other people in the town, not so much. You get the feeling, like, that if Sarah were to die, like, he wouldn't be happy about it. But, you know, he's not going to prioritize her over people that he actually, like, you know, that he already knows, like, above Barry or Alice. And definitely wouldn't put anybody above Alice, so. But then he does have redeeming quality, like, a redeeming moment as well when he comes to realization, like, I know what I need to do, and I don't know if you want to talk about that yet, but so I'm just going to stop oh, we're, right there. We're, we get... we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah so close. So, let's call him you get to uh, Cauldron Lake. There's this tornado happening. You know, it's vehicles, it's refrigerators, so many refrigerators flying at you, uh, barrels, and you have to go th- go to the middle, and uh, you got to take out the tornado. Richard, you have to use the flare gun, right? I wasn't just innovative with my usage of the flare gun. No. They they definitely want you to use the flare gun. There are unlimited flare gun rounds. I don't think there's any way to destroy everything without the flare gun, and the cutscene has you using the flare gun, so I think they assume that. <laughs> they threw a bunch of grenades in right before, and it didn't really do anything. So, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah so you kill the tornado, and then we have um, a cutscene, and let's, let's play it right now. <gasps> Baby, you were having a bad dream. It was just another nightmare. No. Everything's fine. You're home. It wasn't a dream. Everything's fine. Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on! Alright, yeah, so you jump off the cliff with the clicker, go down, then all of a sudden you're back in New York with Alice. And it's darkness outside. Everything's okay. You ask her to turn the lights on. Everything um, is not okay. <laughs> it is not okay because that's somewhat she even refers to you being afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alan's like, no, 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 you're the one who's afraid. You should be asking me to turn the You should be the one to turn the lights on. As much as I normally hate this type of deal in stories in general, where you woke up from a dream and all these elements of this crazy adventure that you just had are like all being explained to you in the five minutes after you wake up where she's like, I'm going to call Dr. Hartman. Like you're the one who's afraid of the dark and like stuff like that. I do think it's actually really good here as like a last ditch kind of like, maybe this was not the right place to go because it, it like definitely like waking up in a vulnerable state not knowing what's going on and having what seems like the darkness being complete control is a pretty cool like flip on the whole idea of you diving into like and thinking that you're doing the right thing that you're actually going to be able to like win this um i do think i do like that idea of the the first thing that happens is you're vulnerable yeah so you, i i agree i i this scene is is it's nice because it's short right it's not as kind of extended out as some of the other ones too um, but you do have this new element of the words being on the screen as you're walking towards them. So this is with the clicker, right? And I think probably we all just like, 
I forgot about this part. So I like walked into a bunch of times. I was like, what the hell is going on? Till you get the flashlight and you're able to um, kind of erase the word clicker. Mm-hmm. Yep. To hit the clicker, uh, you turn on the light and you know Alice disappears. You can actually kill her Go first ahead. too. I mean, yeah. I did that this time. Yeah. I I thought I didn't think I didn't think about it before, but this time I was like, oh, I wonder if I just aim up a little bit. So I did, and she'll just scream and disappear, and then you can aim down at the clicker and, and turn on the lights and. So you can actually swip, flop the order on that. Not sure of the uh, lower implications of that switch, but uh, you can do it. Well, she's just like a darkness manifestation anyway. I don't think she's actually like a person. Yeah, I noticed that too after I got rid of the word that it showed up on her. And then I hit like B to pick up the click real quick. Hmm. So. so after you after you pick up the clicker, uh, you get a, a visit from our good friend. Mr. Thomas Zane. Um, he and has, he has never looked better coming in out of that window. It's a real cool scene. Yeah, let, me, let me play the audio so we can hear what he says. In the spaceman? You must find your way to the cabin. It stands in your way. It won't let you pass. It has no heart. It's filled with darkness. You must fill its heart with light. Don't mind him. He's Mr. Scott. Your friends will meet him when you're gone. Use the clicker. So we get the first parts of Mr. Scratch as well. Right. And and you do see, you do see the, I, I believe we talked about it where the Mr. You see the Mr. Scratch flash over the kidnapper when, when the kidnapper breaks and he's crying on, on the ground. And I think if you swing your flashlight on him, you see Mr. Scratch flash like a, in a keyframe, similar to like a Tyler Durden fight club flash. Um, but yeah, beyond that, there really isn't a whole lot alluding to, uh, the duplication beyond just the, just the basic, like, um, you know, just the basic, uh, duplication of everybody where the darkness takes them and and then they become a a dark form of them. But, but we never, before now, we never see both forms in the same place at once. Um, he's got a real creepy look on his face. Yeah. He does. So, and this is, this I think is one of the more interesting parts of Zane, where when he's, when he's talking about it, he talks about the, the heart of the heart of the darkness. Um, and he, he, at first, um, before this, he's always talking about Barbara, you know, and, and he has her and, and he's, and the darkness is wearing her face. But in this, he specifically says the cabin is blocking the way. Uh, you need to fill its heart with darkness, but he doesn't ever respecify the, the, the pronoun there. Um, so it sounds like he's talking about the cabin, which I which I thought was interesting, um, as as just like he might be alluding to maybe the the structure of the cabin is is more attuned or or is more of a um, representation of the darkness as a structure more so than than Barbara, even though obviously in the end we end up uh, 
the, the, the visual is Barbara, but it, it is inside the cabin. Um, and then he says, don't worry about uh, Mr. Scratch, which is, <laughs> is a really, is, is a, is a real turn for him to say, because so, it does not seem like Mr. Scratch is a good part for any of this. Definitely bad advice. You should yeah, definitely his, worry. He's going to meet his Mr. friends. He's gonna, they're all going to hang uh, out and be buddies. So just a little bit trivia. It is like the part that I've, that always makes me wonder the most. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Scratch is the nickname for the devil. Yeah. Yes. Derived from the old Norse Scrat. Mm. So a little, a little trivia there. So, yeah, I mean, there, I, there isn't a ton of Zane's motivation in this. I mean, we, we, we hear hit the story, but it's, it's all done through a kind of a poetic lens. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe Zane's just kind of like irritated that he's still around. He's the one stuck in the lake and he's the one who doesn't get, uh, Barbara back and you get Alice back, but you aren't going up there. So maybe he's just kind of like, maybe he's just saying something out of spite. Like, yeah, don't worry about that dude. That dude's going to be you now. Cause you get to stay here in the lake with me. Like, you know, this is our, this is our lot that we've drawn. <laughs> you know? There's like a weird implication that. Thomas Zane knows more about Mr. Scratch than Alan does, but also the fact that you're in a story that Alan is writing and this is sort of a scenario that in which Alan has, has created because this is the only path that he can see out um, is to sort of write up to this point and then, and then finish the story. Uh, like everything up until the, you reach the cabin is, is the story that he's written. So at some point, like the idea, at least my idea is that he has created Mr. Scratch for some reason um but there's just not a not a ton to go on so it's like really makes you doubt thomas zane's motivations or even like it's a it's the it's the most confusing part of the ending for me like Mm -hmm. by far uh is mr scratch's role and like like why he exists because you know you, you think like uh my my first point of reference is like the end of twin peaks season two yeah uh because like you know everybody has a doppelganger and and uh you know that sort of the doppelganger exists outside of the in this instance outside of cauldron lake while alan is inside of it uh but that's also not a rule that's swallowed for literally any other character right yeah and well go ahead. i have like i have a theory about that too is that it's part of the ending right everything has to have balance it's already been stated and so i mean i don't want to uh, we're going to be covering american nightmare then i don't want to say too much i mean yeah i mean there are there are it like more... eight damn years ago but but so i, I feel like there's a, a reason i feel like mr scratch is definitely a creation of alan wake to help give him motivation or not necessarily motivation but to help try and give him an avenue out of the predicament that he will find himself in uh so and it, it couldn't like this is what, what i do think is also interesting about this is that if alan could just be a worse writer he could just <laughs> come with a better like a, a better <laughs> ending for him a worse ending for the story but keep that like, oh, and then everybody's happy ever after i'm sorry i wrote a shitty book like work <laughs> well, well also think about the structure of the game and the kind of the plot like this is supposed to be a tv show yeah. so you're thinking hey you're introducing characters to, to flesh out on later right these are like at the end we're gonna end on a cliffhanger so you can catch on next season of alan wake season is uh the wikipedia for alan wake Season one, we're all waiting <laughs> season two. So these are things that maybe they put in there, just random ideas that they're hoping to flesh out later. 
I mean, well, I also remember that Alan Wake's first writing job was as a TV writer for Night Springs, right? So, like, it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting if you think about it in that regard as well. If they're trying to set up for a second season, like, that's what he would have done during that job. So, it helps kind of provide, like, a more professional reason, I guess, as to a great point. why he might be writing the way that he is, why it's set up the way that it is. I mean, given sort of uh, the way that the game ends, I, th- I I think more than anything, Mr. Scratch is just sort of Alan's insurance that um he's like allowed to finish what he's trying to do without anybody getting too suspect. Uh, so he's a character that that is introduced into the story because we know that ultimately, like Alan's not getting out of this, um, but he also can't go missing in the lake. So he like there's a there's another Alan that is created to sort of uh, like nullify any suspicions of anything going on there. So he's allowed to finish his job. Could it be also too that you know when Thomas Zane disappeared, the world forgot about him? Is this a way where maybe the world doesn't forget about Alan? There's at least something there to your point. If he, if he went in the lake, maybe the world would forget him, or is that something different? I mean, maybe he just needs more time to to finish it, and he has to be in the place of power to uh, to work on it. And and you know, the story needed him to turn back time two weeks, so there had to be another Alan out, out there. The most important part of book writing: editing and revision. <laughs> <laughs> and now, before we go on, we've talked about um, the darkness in the heart. You literary people, is there any tie into the Heart of Darkness novel? Or is it just like, you know, darkness and they cut out the heart? I've actually like never book, read like... that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recognize the title, definitely. I was like, oh, oh interesting. Just, you're talking about was... I, would, I would say that is not related. Okay, perfect. That's <laughs> it. We can move on. I just want to throw about like the there. Belgian invasion Literally of the Congo? I'm pretty sure that's like yeah. imperialism. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. what the heart of darkness is in that uh, imperialism. Solve <laughs> of the Joseph Conrad story. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, just no, I, it out there, you guys. <laughs> it, it is a good point. I, at, at first, I thought you were talking about Left Hand of Darkness, which it is also super not related in any way, shape, or form. But um, <laughs> no, I, but I, I do, I do like the literary ending of him literally like shoving his hand with the clicker into the empty void where Barbara Jagger's heart should be and clicking. Um, I think that's just a great image. Uh, it's fantastic to end, end the game on. Um, it's probably my favorite, just like, it's probably, it's probably is my favorite just imagery, like tableau of the whole thing. Like he's dived down into the lake. He's in, in this inverted ocean lake thing. He's found Baba Yaga's cabin, cabin down in here, surrounded by these shadows. And he takes his hand with a magic toy that he invented when he's six years old shoves it literally into the gaping hole of this demon and and turns it on and it's just fire everywhere i think that's just a great great image so before we get there there was um i really did like section right before this and it ties into one of the manuscripts uh, where he says you know he goes into the lake and he can feel the presence right he can feel the words and how it has an effect on the word on the world how different artists would see it I thought that was cool when you're in there and it shows like a uh, couch or whatever and you shine your flashlight on it, kind of like the clicker, and it turns into what you're, you're doing. So it's showing the power of him creating the world at that point. Yeah, there's that whole gameplay section that introduces that gameplay element, which which is explored like in the later DLCs, uh, where like you shine the, you shine the flashlight on 
like words and it creates them. Uh, and you can hear like the typewriter clicking in the background. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, it is legitimately one of my favorite gameplay aspects of the entire game, and it's just a shame that it's only introduced here. But then, yeah, like the DLCs do explore that more. But I just think it's such a cool idea that you were literally using words to create reality, um, which is like already pretty much the entire plot of the damn thing to begin with. But like, it's a literal version of that that you get to interact with, which I think is super fun. And uh, Mike talked about that final scene, so uh, let's play it right now. Now you will never get her back. I am much older than you. Older than your first work of art. I will find a new face to wear. Uh, Someone else to dream me free. Alice's presence close by. I understood what I had to do now. I knew how to write the ending to departure. There's light and there's darkness, cause and effect. There's guilt and there's atonement. But the scales always need to balance. Everything has a price. That's where Zane had gone wrong. There's a long journey through the night back into the light.
Nice little achievement out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Boop. So there was a lot that happened in um in that right there, right? So we have Alan um diving in after Alice. We have Alice coming out of Cauldron Lake. Like Again, it's kind like of- ten or eleven days later. Mm-hmm. Probably like he switches places with her, right? So I think that's the uh you're supposed to think. Um and you know the house is gone on the lake, there's no bridge. It's kinda like when Alan comes out of the water. Um or the or it looks like when Alan gets over there. Also see Bright Falls and Deerfest is happening. He sees mm-hmm. some familiar faces. You get to see uh I believe it's the doctor and Pat Main. Yeah, Pat Main. You- you get to see, I forget the, the woman sheriff's name. I'm not sure if she got possessed, but you get to see. Is it Sarah Stephanie? Breaker. Sarah Breaker? Yeah. That's the sheriff. Not the yo- that's not the young one, right? That's not the one that was with you. This was a different sheriff lady. Oh, she's uh, the, that's uh, the, uh, the phone lady. The, yeah, she's yes. the dispatcher up in front. Yeah. Dispatcher. You get to see Stucky from the gas station, I believe. Yep. Uh, you get the Anderson brothers. Tor Noden doing a little spinny dance, all happy. You get to see Rose. Holding a lantern. Is she the new lady of the light, perhaps? Indeed then... she is. Oh, sorry. I'm so excited about this. I've wanted to talk about this the <laughs> yeah. entire time. Please continue. Fine. <laughs> and, then, and then from the window in the back, you see a face. I'm not sure if that's Alan or who that's supposed to be. Or that's uh, just uh, it was Agent person. Nightingale. Yeah, Agent sure Nightingale. Uh, Agent Nightingale. Agent Nightingale. I don't think that's supposed to be ambiguous at all. Back. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and that's when we start hearing Alan typing, so maybe he's creating this world, maybe he's typing a different story. He says the famous lines, not a lake, it's an ocean. I then hear Alice saying, Alan, wake up. Alan, yeah. wake up. Which, as far as ambiguous lines are, I think it's not a lake, it's an ocean is a really great one. I'm re- I really like that line. He's a little heavy on the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem that he has, I feel. Yeah. Uh, is that, that that's what Sarah Breaker said? Ah, uh, <laughs> heavy on the metaphor. <laughs> um, but I just I just think it's a I think it's a cool alluding to maybe. I mean, what do you think know, it means? I mean, I think that there's I think it just means there's more. I think that it, the most obvious interpretation is just that it, maybe he was thinking too small before, you know, because he was just controlling Bright Falls. Uh, maybe he's. Maybe saying, "Hey, like this is. There's a lot more to this. There's a lot more to this this creation." Um, and yeah, I mean, I I, I also think that um, like just the different contexts of like what an ocean means versus what a lake means, just in general. Um, oceans are these big treacherous barriers uh, for like you know that people had to develop new technologies to cross, as opposed to a lake, which is just something you know that. For the most part, you can usually see across. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I just I think that it's I think it's cool. I just think that it's a cool, fun line to who uh, to end it on. Um, as the one person in this podcast who hasn't played the DLC, for me, this was the end. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, I'm really excited to see uh, see what comes next. Um, I do I do like Rose um with the typewriter noise i don't think i noticed that before i think i just noticed the eye switching but um it is fun to see kind of like how that interaction will play out um for me uh and then agent i being 
something still touched by the darkness or or maybe something new um it is after all an ocean and uh not a lake so there there are many many things can live in an ocean (laughs) a lot more than what can live in a lake and to tie it back to one of the zane's poem from the beginning of the game uh, for he did not know that beyond the lake he called home lies a deeper darker ocean green where waves are both wilder and more serene to its ports i've been to its ports i've been so that's kind of a little bit about the ocean tying back to, to alan wake yeah it's actually the last manuscript page that you find in nightmare mode well, there we go the last page you find in nightmare mode is that in the this episode. Of the game. So it has some uh, importance for sure. Well, I'm going to tie it in a little bit more to Lovecraft, right? Because this entire game is very heavily influenced by Lovecraft. But the way I always kind of interpreted the it's not a lake, it's an ocean. It's, a lake is contained, right? It's surrounded, mm-hmm. it's landlocked. So there's a shore on every side, whereas an ocean, it just goes on forever, essentially. You know, or at least people back in the olden days did and all the oceans are connected so it kind of is a limitless thing so the darkness is home is in the lake but the way that i've always read this is that the darkness isn't just contained to the lake there's more out there like there's this infinite cosmic chaosy universe of just insanity and crazy bullshit that's gonna that leaks through and this lake is just one outlet for it um which without going too much in other games is kind of shown to be the case so but I mean, it's just, it's such a brilliant way to end it like that. Yeah, I think the line is pretty much perfect. Uh, I think it's like just one of the best ways to possibly end the game with just like there's some ambiguity there. It again, it's a like cliffhanger and oh man, I just love it so much. Uh, but even in the moments leading up to that, yeah, you have Rose, who is this new lamp lady, right? She is a Cynthia Weaver in Alan's new endings because you had to have that person there to keep an eye on the darkness to stand watch and so rose is now taking that position and then agent nightingale being surrounded by darkness he's the new barbara jagger he has taken on the face of the darkness like or the darkness now versus whatever the hell proper order for that goes <laughs> but um and i just think you don't think it might be something else you don't think it might be a, another darkness or like another being that is similar but it, it it's coming out I mean, it's entirely possible. That's the thing is that it's so kind of uh, unclear in how the game ends. That like, you know, you have uh, Barbara Jagger say like, you know, I'm older than you. I'm older than your first work of art, which makes me immediately think of the uh, book It as well, uh, with Pennywise mm-hmm. like just being here before essentially mankind, more or less. Um, so I mean, it's entirely possible that something else came through. That there's like another crazy gibbering idiot god out there that's trying to come through into our reality and it's now like kind of taking over and so you've got cynthia or you've got rose there to kind of keep watch against it and to try and provide the help that you got from cynthia for whatever you know creator comes next and has to deal with the same kind of thing uh but just that kind of ambiguity is just i think wonderful yeah where it's like so open to our interpretation to uh to sort of touch on that real briefly, do you guys get the Im- the feeling at the end that the story continues? Alan's still consciously affecting the world outside of the lake, because uh, my under my sort of uh, takeaway from the ending was always that he wrote the story in which Al- uh, Alice escapes, and everything after that, like he's no longer interacting with sort of the world at large. Um, I I definitely see both ways i think that originally originally when i was playing this 10 years ago uh i saw it as a closed loop 
I saw it as Alan was writing himself literally back to when it started. And so what he's doing is he is taking the place of the Alan that we see as we're playing, the one who's in the, all the, um, the real life videos. And he's writing the story that he's already experienced. Um, while, uh, while the, 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 you know, old Alan is, is viewing it through, through TVs because he's, he's kind of attached. So I, I did originally see it as, as a closed loop. I think that now, um, especially knowing that, uh, that there are like DLCs and there's like other kind of extensions to this, uh, you know, stuff that's being hinted at in, in control and other things. Um, I definitely think that it's, it's more on the latter where he is probably still altering the world. And he's probably still active as a, as a force of some kind. I mean, is that, um, what role do you see the, the darkness plays in the ending in that situation? Because I always felt like the power didn't necessarily come from the lake so much as the darkness, uh, is sort of residing inside the lake. Um, and the, the fact that he more or less sort of cut off that source of power from it. I, I just always interpreted the ending as he has solved the cauldron lake problem, but the lake isn't the actual problem. Mm. Uh, and it extends beyond that. And sort of everything that happens in the town afterwards, like like Cynthia uh, Weaver, who's wanted to retire for a long time, sort of now Rose uh, carrying a, a lantern, uh, are more symptoms <laughs> of... torch. Are more <laughs> symptoms of like a sort of like... Uh, it, it rhymes. Right. Um, I think that's interesting because in that interpretation, you'd be saying that Rose is her eyes are moving the typewriter because she's still recovering from being taken over by the darkness, and Nightingale just survived, and he's just pissed off because he's a crazy person. <laughs> I and I, I do I, I think that interpretation's fun. Um, I mean, I think that if if I was writing if I was writing it and, and I really wanted to like take a look at at where the source of power is, and the the answer that I would probably have is that that maybe the cabin does have a more intrinsic relationship with this extra planar being that the darkness is. And when he, when he uh, lights it aflame from the inside of the clicker, he's typewriting from the, uh, like from the husk from like, like he has projected this image of a cabin, but it's really this, the dead husk of this being that he is, is using. And, and maybe the power comes with the typewriter. Maybe it comes from what's left of the darkness. But I mean, I, 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 I do think that where the power comes from has to be something in which Alan can exert control without the darkness. Because I, I just think that that's the only way that it, it, it really kind of loops. Yeah, I think that makes well, sense. The way that I kind of see it, it's like the darkness isn't entirely shut off, right? Otherwise, there would be no need to have Rose there still standing watch. So Cauldron Lake is, I wouldn't say it's shut off, but the darkness has been stopped, like Thomas Zane did before, maybe a little bit more thoroughly this time. Um, but it's still there, and it still poses a threat. Otherwise, you wouldn't need Rose to sit there with the lantern to be able to have that watch that Cynthia Weaver had already had. Um, and I, I feel like it's hinted. I don't remember if it's in the game or not, but I feel like it's hinted that there are other places of power as well. And so, I mean, if this is just one little outlet for it, right? The whole, it's not a lake, it's an ocean. This is just one little, like, you know, outlet for that ocean. It means that wherever Alan Wake is, if he has surpassed the lake and he is now in said ocean, then he suddenly has access to all these other places of power to help exert influence. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why he stayed behind, 
is because he knows that the darkness is still there. Uh, whatever the darkness is, might be a different one. Could be the same one, just a different aspect of it. I don't know. But mm-hmm. that it's still going to try and exert its will into reality. It's still going to try and escape and take more control and more power. And that he is in a unique position to be able to affect that. Because that's the entire game, is you're trying to fight against the darkness and you're able to use your talent as a writer in order to do what you have to. And so I think that he makes a willing sacrifice to stay in the lake or to stay in that dark air, that, that dark place in order to try and stop the darkness or slow it down or combat it or whatever it is. Like he sacrifices himself and his ability to be with Alice to bring Alice back, but then to try and prevent this from happening elsewhere, which for me, it's like, it's that redemption thing that he talks about, you know, like how there has to be balance, light and dark um, redemption. And he's trying to redeem himself to a large extent for being such a just wild asshole for most of the game. And I think that that's kind of like the, the theme that's played on here. And yeah, I, that, I feel like there's other stuff that happens that does kind of reinforce that a little bit, which we're going to talk about in upcoming episodes. But I don't want to say too much because, again, like I guess Mike hasn't played it. What the, what the hell, man? Yeah, for 10 years. Yeah, and I've, I haven't played it in forever either. So <laughs> yeah, I, mean, that, I don't guys, remember hey, much of it. That's Alan Wake. We finished the main game of Alan Wake, guys. <laughs> that was awesome. Like This is such a fun game for me. Before we get into final thoughts, I do want to say, you know, if you've been listening... Thank you so much. We all appreciate your time uh, and your attention to this, and hopefully you guys enjoyed our discussion as well. Uh, for our next episodes, we are going to have uh, either three or four more. The next episode here is going to be like a bonus episode. We're going to go over the extras in the collector's edition. We'll talk about the Bright Falls show. We'll talk about the, the book that came in the special edition. After that, we'll have a DLC episode, and that can be one or two, on how much content we think is there. And then we'll tackle American Nightmare. So be be ready for three more episodes of the Alan Wake Book Club before we switch on to a different topic. And if there's anything you want to hear, um, just really post in the Reddit boards, so just comment there. Uh, but with that, let's do some final thoughts. I'll, I'll go first. Um, this game holds up. From the story to the pacing, we talked about some issues we had with it. It is just a blast to play through. I, you know, uh, so many games now, people judge them on length, um, and they need this kind of deeper story. I really like as much as confusing, and there was so much depth in there that we got into. It was it was a it was quick. It reminds me of kind of link to the past, like it doesn't overstay its welcome. When it's done, it's done. Um, but man, I I liked it, and honestly, having you guys discuss it and kind of your thoughts made it that much more enjoyable for me. So, Alan Wake, still awesome. All right, uh, we'll go into alphabetical order. Adam, you're up. Final thoughts on Alan Wake main game? Yeah, I mean. I, I think you you absolutely nailed it. So many games today focus on like how big can we make the world, how much content can we throw in there to the point that it's goddamn overwhelming, right? Like Red Dead Redemption Two, it's fantastic, but I don't have 140 hours of my life that I'm willing to dedicate to just one single playthrough, right? Alan Wake, it's you can beat it in like what 10 to 12 hours, depending on how much time you want to take, and it's just it's all narratively driven and it's fantastic and it, it does have some problems, but. What it does well, it does extremely well. And just as far as being like an action horror kind of hybrid, I'm already into this shit anyway. I like the weird stuff. I love the horror. So, of course, I'm going to be biased. I also love Remedy because they're just fucking brilliant at whatever they do. Uh, it has some of the best use of licensed music in a game, which I'm going to bring up as well. The end music for this episode is Space Oddity by David Bowie. 
just one of the best musicians out there. And I could go off on this whole tangent about how interconnected he was with like magic ritual and like trying to understand magic and weird fascination with the Nazis when he was living off of peppers and milk and cigarettes. But I'm not going to go into that here. But so like, and even aside from the licensed music, the regular music they have for the game, just like the piano during that long sequence that we were listening to towards the end, it's just absolutely beautiful. Everything they do in this game is just absolutely enjoyable to be a part of, to to witness, to hear. Like the audio effects, the music is beautiful. The world is rendered just so gorgeously. Um, even for a ten-year-old game, like the graphics still hold up pretty well, you know. And uh, yeah, just it's one of my favorite games of all time. And replaying it again just reinforces that. And uh, I'm gonna shut up now, I guess. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Uh, ben, you're up. I mean, it's a good game. <laughs> I, I I think uh, it, as as far as games go, it occupies an incredibly specific niche uh, that other games, I think, just haven't been able to replicate sort of in the same way, uh, which is why, you know, 10 years on, you can sit down and have a discussion about it over like however many hours uh, each episode and just sort of talk about the literary and, and film and other pop culture references and sort of the story itself. Uh, it's just like a really unique experience. And I, I think it's uh, from start to finish, like one of the only games that you can play where you really feel like you're in a Stephen King novel or, you know, like in that sort of magical Pacific Northwest uh, with the horror and, and thriller elements. Um, a lot of games uh, have sort of referenced Twin Peaks and, and Stephen King and things like that. But I think this is the first one and the only one really that uh, nails the atmosphere in a way that is just like unsurpassed. Uh, so it's really good. And, it, it, you know, luckily it continues to be good throughout the DLCs and uh, and the expansion. Thanks, Ben. Like, take us home. Yeah, um, I mean, most of what I have to say echoes uh, what Adam and Ben said right before this. Uh, I think that the list of games that came out 10 years ago that I'd be willing to go through and play and pay attention to and talk about is, is really, really short. Um, I was really happy to to play through this again. Um, obviously, there there are some small points of frustration, but nothing like that. Nothing quite like what you know. We, and we've you know, outside of the podcast, we've had discussions about some older games that we've all tried to uh, to go back and play. And and there's there's some bad ones out there. Um, also, the length. Like I do like the length. Um, I don't have a ton of time uh, these days to to really sit down. Um, you know, thinking about trying to do a game like. Red Dead 2 or, I mean, any of the Ubisoft stuff is just a monolithic task for me. Um, I'm, I'm, like, barely able to get through, like, Kentucky Rod Zero and Outer Wilds <laughs> these days, uh, which are much, much, much briefer. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm, I, I'm really happy with it. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's a lot, there's a lot more there um, than I remember, um, and I'm excited to, uh, to see, see the other, like, tertiary things that that are attached to it and also play the the dlc it'll be uh it'll be fun thanks mike and uh so with that on behalf of uh, myself lance adam ben and mike thank you all for listening to the alan wake book club uh again we're going to continue on with more uh, with that i think it's kind of time to end this episode so everyone it's not a lake it's an ocean it's an ocean ocean um, I guess really quick to to say, if you do have questions or comments, um, you can tweet at me at flygare, F-L-Y-G-A-R-E, 
IV. And I will respond there um, as opposed to tracking me down on Reddit. Are you really are you really plugging your Twitter right now? <laughs> I oh, he don't sure use is. it for anything. So it's, it's <laughs> some penicillin. I have I have tweeted I think five times. O M E B E N I C I L L I N. Perfect. Actually, You're getting nothing from me. Ben social media is a cesspit. Thank you, everybody. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Commencing countdown engines on Three, two, check ignition And may God's love be with you Stars look very different.